how do I get the distinct feeling that we're going to talk a lot today about line changes? And actually, it might not be as unsexy a topic as you might think. Welcome to the Jeff Merrick Hockey Show for this Thursday, June the 23rd. Glad to have you aboard today. 3-2 is the final score. Nazem Kadri in overtime. More on that in a moment. 3-1 series lead. The Abs will take into Ball Arena on Friday where da, 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 the cup will be in the building. Personally, and we've talked about this before, we've made this a discussion point at a couple of different times, uh, I think the cup should always be on display. I think it should be on display every single game. That should be a, there should be a visual reminder of what everybody is playing for here. Anyway, more on that in a couple of moments. We'll get into that and we'll get into line changes here. But one thing I want to focus on to start the program, and by the way, Elliot's flying right now, so he's on his way to Denver. Uh, the Kiprios is coming up from Real Kipper and Born. Uh, we'll play some of the uh, news uh, segments that we did last night on the 32 Thoughts podcast at the bottom of the hour. Uh, hour two is going to be Coach's Hour. Paul Maurice, Florida Panthers head coach, joins me, uh, and also Jay Woodcroft, Edmonton Oilers head coach, will be aboard as well. But I want to start the show off by talking about John Cooper. I want to talk about John Cooper, the head coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and I want to open it up with this clip last night, which I believe was something done very deliberately and specifically, and specifically his choice of words I thought was really interesting as well. Here's John Cooper from last night. You're going to see what I mean when you see the winning goal. And I, my heart breaks for the players because we probably still should be playing. Um, I'll be available tomorrow. I may want the gravity of this one to really stick. Let's hear that one one more time before I share my thoughts on it. Here's John Cooper from last night after Nazem Kadri scores in overtime. Here's Coop. You're going to see what I mean when you see the winning goal. And I, my heart breaks for the players because we probably still should be playing. Um, I'll be available tomorrow. John Cooper is a hockey coach and an excellent one. One of the best in the NHL, and you could probably make the argument he's the best coach in the NHL. One thing there is no argument about, he is the longest tenured coach in the NHL, was hired March 25th, 2013, taking over for Guy Boucher. When you look at the resume, it's an impressive one. He won the Calder Cup with the Norfolk Admirals in the AHL in 2012. He's won the Stanley Cup since, twice, once in the bubble, and last year during the COVID-shortened season. That's the hockey resume. He's also a lawyer. He practiced law for five years. He worked as a public defender, and he also had a private practice at the same time. I don't believe for... One second, that John Cooper approaches a hot mic without knowing what he'll say and what the effect will be after he says it. Now, I was talking with the, uh, the guys on 650 on the morning show, Halford and Bruff, about this this morning. I think there's a couple of things at play here in that brief presser with John Cooper yesterday. I think one... He now has the ability to sell the 
us versus the world story to his team. Even the officials are out to get us. They're just ignoring how many players Colorado sends over the boards. It's us versus the Avalanche and the officials and their home arena and all their fans. And two, I think that was done deliberately to distract away from the fact that Tampa was getting horribly outplayed specifically in that overtime. They were getting caved in. If you look at how the game evolved, Colorado got stronger as it went along. Now, this was a a game of sloppiness and a game of blocked shots, and I think both are beautiful in the playoffs, by the way. But I think what John Cooper is doing here is that isn't necessarily the coach talking to the reporters. That, to me, felt more like the lawyer talking to the jury. And if you look at what he said and how he said it, too, he creates an avenue of investigation for everybody who was assembled in that room. You're going to see what I mean when you see the winning goal. What's on everyone's mind right away? That's all we're consumed by. How many men were on the ice? You're going to see what I mean when you see the winning goal. Translation, sure there was an egregience. Sure it was too many men on the ice. Sure it was a bad slash late line change. But really what John Cooper is trying to do is direct attention away from how his team ended up playing at the end. Let's not forget, it was only a couple of minutes before that that Logan O'Connor almost ended this thing on a breakaway. The great save by Andre Vasilevsky. I know it might get roasted, but I thought he was really good last night. Again, I don't know that that was so much a coach talking to assembled media. John Cooper last night in that brief presser felt more like John Cooper, the lawyer, talking to a jury. Nick Kiprios joins me now from uh, Real Kipper and Born. How are you today, Kips? I'm good, man. Happy to be a part of your all-star lineup today. It's a good one, man. It's uh, it's Coach's Day, right? I mean, yes. you had the, the story about Woodcroft a couple of days ago. He re-ups three years. Paul Maurice, kind of a shocker for a lot of people. So they'll both be aboard in hour two. Um, and I do want to get your thoughts on the, the coaching carousel right now. But... You know, I'm I'm watching this this presser. I'll I'll ask you about the too many men and all that, and if you can do anything about it, even if you even want to do anything about it. Um, how did you see the John Cooper press conference? Because to me, I don't know that that was John Cooper the coach as much as that was John Cooper the lawyer. <laughs> Agree or disagree? Uh, uh, highly entertaining, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and I, I, I want to just say it right off the bat, Jeff, uh, I, I'm. I'm a big fan of uh, John Cooper. I, I like him. I like listening to him. He says interesting stuff. We break it down constantly on our podcast. Uh, it, it's all good. But uh, on on our our show today, uh, I I asked the guys, am, am I watching a scene out of the Lincoln Lawyer? And uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'm thinking of uh, Matthew McConaughey in that movie. Uh, and and there's just. Uh, when it comes to lawyers in general, uh, it, it's it's all about the grandstanding. It's all about uh, creating an, an image or a vibe and uh, having people uh, know, believe in it. Um, for the most part, I probably in a perfect world would have liked 
John to just come out and say it last night, but he left the breadcrumbs uh, enough for the likes of Elliot, myself, or you, or anyone else to go and find out what the hell he's talking about. We we can't wait till tomorrow. You can't leave us <laughs> hanging like this. You know, yep. this is like, uh, you know, your, your, your spouse saying, shut the TV off. And you're like, no, 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 no. One more episode. One more this episode. This is too good. This is too good. I can't go to bed. That's yeah, right. I know. This is too good. So he, he knew what he was doing. He knew what uh, kind of vibe he wanted to, to leave everybody with. And yes, we aren't talking about Colorado uh, one game away or how we're going to start looking at Nazem Kadri's uh, comeback and playing with one hand. Uh, two weeks after surgery and scoring a, an incredible overtime goal. No one's really talking about that after the game. We're we're all chasing down what the heck is John Cooper talking about. So whatever the 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 uh, end plan is for for where this is going, um, we know it, it'll it'll suck away a lot of the uh, attention that would normally go elsewhere. But we're still back to square one, and that's Colorado going home 60 minutes away from uh, a Stanley Cup championship and dethroning the the, uh, the two-time champions. That's the storyline. Everything else seems to be, you know, a, a delay process out of anything uh, we got out of last night because we know there's nothing reviewable. There's nothing the league can do. There's no mulligan. There's no breakfast ball. Um, uh, if you slice one into the woods, you play it uh, as you see it. And as we all see it now, Colorado, outside of Game 3, has outplayed the Tampa Bay Lightning. And they did yesterday. And I, th- I think the, the distraction technique was twofold here. I think one from Cooper last night it was to distract away from how Tampa got handled by the Colorado Avalanche yeah. yesterday. And two, I wonder, and you've been part of rooms like this before, Nick, you can talk with authority. Now the coach can come in and say, guys, it's not just us versus Colorado. It's us versus the refs. And we're in Colorado's barn and it's their fans. Guys, it's us against the world. And you know, Nick, what that does to an athlete. You know what that what that's going to do to every single guy in that room. You know, what's the old saying? You can always stop a parade, and I think that's going to be the one thing on Tampa's mind on Friday. We want to stop the parade. Yeah, ultimately that's what it's going to come down to. But, you know, at the the same time, um, it may have not been the way that I would have proceeded uh, if I'm John Cooper, uh, but, you know, he he did what he did. But at the end of the day... um, he, he's not wrong. This was a uh, a bad miss uh, at a critical time, and it's a legit beef. There's there's yep. no question. Four guys missed a, a horrific line change. This isn't, you know, people people are talking uh, about you know historically uh, having this buffer zone with ten, fifteen, twenty feet. This was forty two and a half feet. Okay. I know this, this just wasn't, this is this easy. This, this isn't covered by by the lacrosse box. This is not going to get no. covered by that. <laughs> no. So uh, I, I do believe in in fifteen or twenty years, if we look back, uh, what we assume is going to be a, a Stanley Cup champion for Colorado, this is going to be known as the the fifty foot miss, and uh, yeah, that's just that's just the way it is. Despite whether or not Colorado it was outplaying them or they deserve to win, uh, it's irrelevant. They missed the call. And uh, but you're gonna have to live with it. No different than 
uh, Carrie Fraser does with Gretzky and the Leaf fans. Uh, a few years ago, a, a hand pass that was missed. Uh, we can go back in history and look at uh, some some missed calls. Uh, Brett Hull's foot in the, the crease in 99. I mean, this one will go down that path. And uh, you just live with it and, and you move on. What's the alternative? That we, uh, that we turn the whole league into the uh, IT department? And we're run by well, th- that's, uh, software. See, that's that's the fear for me. Is uh, I think we're at the place where right now it almost feels like we have too much video review. And I understand the idea of well, just get it right. Well, then what does that cover? Then does that cover like you know now dump ins behind center? Because right now you can say most of the guys miss that, and there should be a lot of icings. But it's kind of like well, it's close enough. We'll just leave it. Like at, at what point? Like how many things are we going to decide to review? Um, to review goals based on, and then how much does that stall the scheme? The, the 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 premium of hockey has always been placed on speed and flow, and you completely ruin the flow when there's a goal scored, and now we all have to stand around to see if it really counts. Like it's almost become automatic. Like there's now a two-step process to so many goals. Sure, it goes in, but let's see if there's a challenge. Let's see if there's a review. Like we're losing the sort of the jubilation of a moment because now goals have an, ex- an extra step attached to them. And it all comes from the good place. Like it all comes from the place of we're trying to get the call right. And that is a wonderful thing. But I've always felt the part of the beauty of hockey, Nick, is that it isn't black and white. And maybe that's why we hate, I think the majority of us hate the puck over the glass rule because that is black and white. And I think hockey is at its best when there's a gray area and there's an interpretation area and there's a human area here. Like it's not robots. I mean, I I think that if for anybody that wants to quote unquote do something about a situation like this, I think you have to entertain the idea um, of either making it reviewable um, coming up with some sort of, to your point, a buffer zone and as line changes, or maybe take an official off the ice for a bird's eye view. So someone who's up there actually counting to see if there are too many men on the ice. I have about zero interest, Nick, in any of that. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you, Jeff. Uh, and I don't even begin uh, to tell you that I have the right answer with this. Um, I just, uh, I'm not... I'm not paid enough. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I, I just, uh, I, I don't want to see, I, I, again, I don't want to see this game uh, handed over to, uh, you know, software geeks uh, when it's all said and done. So, uh, but we did open up a bit of uh, Pandora's box uh, when we started with the video and we know it's like, uh, and you could speak of this, it's like, uh, you know, you just can't get one tattoo, right? You just gotta, well, that's you the know, truth, bud. You, 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 you keep going. Same thing with video review, right? It's just not about does the puck actually cross the goal line. Now it's gone into a, a completely different look years later, and I don't know where the cutoff line is. Um, and, you know, this just isn't a hockey issue here. Uh, baseball's going through something really tough now with a strike zone. Yep. How many and the percentages of guys that just get it wrong and should this be left to uh, robot uh, again, umps, uh, robot uh, computer software for balls and strikes and I'm like, oh my god where do we end this thing? But uh, I think uh, I think right now uh, we just got to 
we got to come to the conclusion that this is a very fast game. Uh, when we look at, uh, you know, this egregious line change last night, nobody saw it, Jeff. No, uh, no. We got some, we got some yeah, really but, you good, know, smart he, hockey he, people he, on TV. Nobody saw it. Nobody let, saw let it. Me, let me let me jump in on that one because that's an interesting point, Nick. I think that people saw it, but because we see it so often, it doesn't register anymore. Like, oh, okay, that was kind of an awkward line change. Yeah, maybe he took, you know, yeah. he wasn't too many. But it's like, but not the forty all the foot time. line change. No, I know it's not, it's, no, no, it's a this, it's a long one. It's, it's, this was it's, this was it's, twice as long as anything we've we've really seen before. It's um, no as, doubt. As, this this is a long one, but I just think that we've yeah. we've sort of we've graded so much that it doesn't even register anymore. Yeah, I, I I don't disagree. When when it comes to line changes, you just it, it's just a regular line change until it's not. And uh, you know, for John Cooper now to go into a post game and and talk about something that uh, he was too upset to talk about, I you know. You, I don't think you caught it either until somebody no. showed it to you or you went back and watched it uh, on a, on an angle you that know, no one else had. So, so about, everybody about, missed it, yeah. including the four officials. So about two minutes after the, uh, after the game ended, I got a text from someone who sent me a screen cap who said, I think, I think McKinnon's offside. And they had a screen cap of Kadri in the zone and McKinnon still on the blue line, one in, one out, going yeah. off. And I thought, hmm, okay, that's interesting. And so you go back and you look at the goal and then you start rewinding. And it's like, eh, no, I don't think it was an offside call, but look how many players are on the ice. Yeah. Yeah. And then you go back but, and look at the change and you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like the further, like, if you start from the idea of, okay, maybe McKinnon's offside here and then start going backwards... Nick, it was only then that I realized how egregious the line change was. I had to go backwards starting well, with, but, is, is McKinnon but no one, offside? But, but there were also comments flying around that, uh, you know, even if a guy's there, it's he's out of the play and it's irrelevant on the play. And it's like, no, no, you got to understand that that was, that was Kadri's man, right? Soon as it became yeah. Kadri's jumping on for McKinnon, then then it becomes an issue because it's how early did he leave and uh, what kind of jump did he get on, on on a line change and when did he touch the puck and where was Nathan McKinnon on the ice when he touched the puck because that is black and white. There's no gray area for too many men on the ice. When you replace a guy on a line change and you play the puck before he comes off, that is cut and dry, too many men on the ice. And it's not no longer a buffer zone. It's only yeah. a buffer zone when both players aren't touching the puck uh, at the same time that they're on the ice. That's the only time. Once he plays the puck and he's and he's now still on the ice, then there is no buffer zone there. That's a missed call. Uh, to the game itself, and Nazem Kadri's at the center of it. Um, you know, I, I thought it was interesting. I got a text from someone yesterday. We were talking about Gabriel Landeskog and him playing on Kadri's line. Kadri's got the bad thumb. We know he's not going to be in there taking faceoffs, and that ends up being Gabriel Landeskog's responsibility. And this person texted me yesterday and said, have you ever noticed that 
whichever line needs help, that's where Jared Bednar puts Gabriel Landeskog. Like, he's the ultimate yeah. fixer for the Colorado Avalanche. Like, okay, this line is struggling, put Landeskog there. Okay, Kadri's back with the bad thumb, put Landeskog beside him. Like, it's a real luxury, A, to have Gabriel Landeskog. But I want to ask you about Nazem Kadri and the redemption story. We all know the history of Nazem Kadri. We know all about the suspensions and the trade and, and why it was made and, and, and all of that. What went through your mind yesterday watching Nazem Kadri play and watching Nazem Kadri at the end be the hero for the Avalanche? Well, I think it's just uh, uh, the, the character that he's shown. Uh, and, and I'm not even talking about uh, the last uh, 24 hours or the last two weeks. And uh, I, I thought it was so highly unlikely we'd ever see him two weeks after surgery uh, come back and not only come back, but... Uh, play the role of a hero here. So I, I just think it's uh, redemption for him uh, because his character more than anything else, not even his play, not not how good he is or what he's capable of doing, but just his character was just, uh, it took such a beating as a Toronto Maple Leaf and then going through what he did, you know, on a couple occasions in the playoffs um, with suspensions and then going through it again a, a third time in Colorado. The difference is that uh, Joe Sackick didn't bail on him and, uh, and, and Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas did, right? They just said, uh, you know, we'll never win with this guy. Let's get rid of him. And he's still stinging from that. You know, I don't know how much he'd admit publicly, but it still bothers him, I think, deep down that he's not a Toronto Maple Leaf um, and, uh, and how he left and I just think for for a guy like that to come back and have the year that he had and uh, to make promises to Colorado and Joe that, uh, you know, what he went through with St. Louis uh, was not going to ha- happen again. And uh, and uh, for Joe to believe in him. Uh, and, and now they're 16 minutes away from uh, from a Stanley Cup. So uh, I think for... For for Kadri more than anything, uh, and we know he's going to do exceptionally well with the unrestricted free agency timings, everything oh, yeah. in life. But it's 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 more it's more than this. Uh, what yeah. what Kadri has been able to do to uh, you know uh, to, to rebuild his image or his uh, character is far beyond uh, a, a fifty million dollar contract. You know, it was interesting at the beginning of the playoffs. I can still remember those first couple of games against Nashville. And you could tell that the Preds players specifically were trying to get Kadri to do something dumb. Like right away, they were in his face, little pokes, all of it, trying to get him to react, trying to, you know, let his past lead his future. I guess is maybe an appropriate way to say it, Nick. Um, yeah. And he wouldn't take the bait. Like how? And and the interesting thing about it too, Nick, was every time it happened, someone else from Colorado stepped in. You know, whether it was Josh Manson getting in between Kadri and whomever. Like they were not going to let Kadri even entertain the idea of getting suspended again or reliving his past. Or Landeskog would get in the middle, or McKinnon would get in the middle. Like they, it was almost like Colorado had like this this shield around Nazem Kadri. Like they were not going to let any team try to goad him into doing something dumb at all. You know, Jeff, that's a, that's an excellent point. And if, uh, 
And and if you look at uh, his run as a Toronto Maple Leaf and how he was not protected and how he felt he needed to take it upon himself to go get redemption against the Boston Bruins when they were constantly pounding his hockey club and how they he didn't have that surrounded by him. That's that's when you you look back and you know unfortunately for for Leaf fans that's where you know Kyle or Brendan have to look at it and go did did I put him in a position to fail or succeed mm-hmm. and that's the difference between Toronto and Colorado and and Naz is in a perfect uh, environment there where he he can just do the things that he's absolutely best at and and we knew he was uh, a gamer coming out of London uh, he played for sure. the Hunters for goodness sakes and uh if you can play for the Hunters you can play for anybody uh, but the one thing that stands out ab- above all else is that he is a very talented scorer. My God. He, I mean, look at the points that he was able to to put up and, and look at the goal that he was able to score on a great individual effort with one hand, for God's sakes. How many guys, mm-hmm. you know, have that ability, um, you know, and, and, and yet that's where his strengths are. And he, he realizes it now. It's not to go out there and, and disturb and, 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 and be a, a guy that gets under people's skin. It's, it's supposed to be a, a guy that can go out there and, and make a difference with the way that you either uh, handle the puck, uh, pass the puck, or shoot the puck. That's where his greatest strengths are. And, and he's just he's found his... Uh, his place in this league, and it's a it's a pretty darn good one. And I don't know whether it's going to be a team like Philadelphia or a team like Boston, although those are a couple of teams that come to mind right away. Uh, maybe even Colorado. Who knows? Although I think they're going to spend the nickel here on, yeah. on Valeri Nachushkin. Well, what's going on that guy, with Kadri's going to make, going it, with, make, make a good dollar. What's going on with Backstrom in Washington? That's another huge there. one. You never – listen, at, at, in, at any age – like. Hip surgeries, and we saw this with uh, with Tyler Sagan. No matter what they say, and we'll see with Brad Marchand now of uh, of Boston when they say six months. Whenever I hear hip surgery for a player neck, and I hear like six months, I always say no chance. I give it I give it a year until that player. You can come back in six months, but are you really yourself? Like, look at yeah. how long did it take Tyler Sagan to get back to really being himself? Because it wasn't six months. It's at least a year. Like you can be back and playing, but you're not yourself. Is he back to himself? Is he? No, he's not. No, he's not. But that body, he's put his body like he's Tyler Sagan's put his body through hell for the Dallas Stars. Yeah. Tyler Sagan has crushed his body for that team. Like he'll never be that same Tyler yeah. Sagan, elite level right hand shot guy, yeah. filling the net. And like he's not gonna be that guy anymore because he's put his body through so much. But whenever I hear hip surgery for a forward and I see Nick Backstrom and I see the birth certificate, I say to myself, this is going to take a while. And I still think that Washington is in this thing. Uh, yeah. I know it was a disappointing first round against Florida, but I think, yeah, for sure, they're, they're going to go shopping. And if I'm, you know, Cortex is the agent here for Kadri. If I'm Cortex, I'm, you know, that, that's one of my phone calls at the end of the year. Wow. He's, he's, he's. He's going to do great. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, I don't know how high it goes, uh, Jeff, uh, but I, I think uh, Zabanajad's number at uh, eight and a half, I think, is in, in the ballpark. 
Yep, I don't disagree. Um, yeah. Real quick before I let you go, your thoughts on the, the, two, the two coaches that are coming up here in the second hour. We're going to talk to Paul Maurice of Florida at the top of yeah. the hour, and then and then Jay Woodcroft. And like you had Woodcroft uh, nailed a few days ago, a couple of days before it was announced. Um, I don't know that anyone was surprised at this one, considering the the minute Woodcroft took over. Um, changed a couple of things. Uh, all of a sudden, Edmonton started to to take off. Uh, your thoughts on Woodcroft and Edmonton, Nick? Just uh, just the delay. Uh, in all honesty, I thought it would have been a, a, a no brainer to uh, get that uh, that signing and that news out uh, uh, quickly. But uh, uh, there's no other choice for Ken Holland and uh, what what Woodcroft and, and Manson were able to do, and we expect Manson to to follow. Yeah. Uh, quickly uh behind woodcroft you know uh, as far as uh uh paul maurice goes there's no question that andrew burnett uh, uh was uh one of those guys where uh it's inexperience doesn't matter until it matters and uh so they're they're going right back to the well for a guy that's uh been around a long time you know the other thing that i heard um you know, inside uh, a little bit of an inner circle was uh, a lot of people wanting to uh, Joel Quenville uh, to 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 try to get reinstated back in. Um, I believe and, that. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, we, we know uh, uh, Vincent uh, Viola is the owner of uh, of uh, the Florida Panthers, uh, and yet uh, it. He went in a different direction. Same experienced type of guy, but uh, uh, certainly didn't want to wait that one out. But uh, uh, a lot of people thinking that uh, there still wasn't enough answers in, in that investigation and that uh, that uh, there wasn't enough uh, conclusive evidence to, to point the finger at anybody. And un- unfortunately, Joel had to step up and I think in his mind, do the right thing here. But uh, a lot of people think that, uh, you know, that that job should have gone back to Joel Quenville. You know, there are a lot of people, and I count myself as one of them, that still want to see the testimony from people like Joel Quenville, specifically for the purposes of this conversation. Um, the testimony from Joel Quenville in the uh, Jenneran Block report, because we haven't heard what he said. We have an interpretation that the Chicago Blackhawks shared with us, but we haven't heard Joel Quenville, Joel Quenville's yes. words at all. Yeah. And Quenville wants to get back in, I think, and you know this, Nick, there were teams that are interested and have been interested, but have already filled positions yeah. that were interested in Joel Quenville. Um, I'm not sure that the NHL believes the time is right yet for, for Joel Quenville to come back to the NHL. But I'm like you. I have uh, I have questions about it, and my main question is: Will we be able to hear what Joel Quenville told the investigators in the General Block report? Yeah. And until then, yeah, we I, still haven't heard from Joel Quenville. You're right. You're absolutely right. And for for Joel to come back, he'd have to be reinstated first, and that's through uh, the eyes in the office of of Gary Bettman. And then after that, yep. uh, where it goes from there, uh, I have no idea. But uh, too many un- unanswered questions still for, for us, uh, and you just mentioned that. Now we're going to have to go through it with Hockey Canada. What did we learn out of Chicago that can help this process? Jeff, I have no idea. Well, the the Hockey Canada uh, issue is is still not done, and we saw yesterday now the, the federal government is going to get involved 
uh, in this one, and there are a number of different contingencies uh, that would be, be placed on Hockey Canada getting funding. Um, Pascal Saint-Ange, who's the, the sport minister, looking for Hockey Canada to disclose all recommendations from the law firm they retained uh, to investigate the, uh, the claims of sexual abuse and you know, also outlining the changes uh, that they would like to see. This is this one is far from over for uh, for yes. Hockey Canada. This is this is this is this is going to be one that that carries on. And until there are sufficient answers for the federal government, all funding that uh, Hockey Canada gets has been frozen. Yeah. So this story is far from being done. Um, but listen, Nick, really appreciate you coming on as always. Uh, always full value. Um, all the best, my good friend. We will chat very soon. Right. Thanks for talking to me today. Enjoy the conclusion, uh, Jeffy. Thanks for having me on your show. Thanks, pal. There he is, Nick Kiprios, co-host of uh, Real Kipper and Born. And, and as Nick mentions, coming up in hour two, Paul Maurice, Florida Panthers head coach, also Jay Woodcroft, Edmonton Oilers uh, head coach. Uh, but coming up next, uh, we'll play a clip from the 32 Thoughts podcast that Elliot and I did last night. Uh, this is um, some stuff about the, the news of the day, and a lot of it involves the Winnipeg Jets, uh, what the future of both Blake Wheeler and Pierre-Luc Dubois could be or could not be, for that matter, for Winnipeg. Uh, that's coming up next as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Breaking down everything in Leafsland better than anyone. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the program. So just got an interesting note from Jason Kaimovich. He's the uh, VP of Communications in the American Hockey League. This is a great one. Uh, Kadri and Cooper on opposing teams with an OT goal controversy in the final. Holy deja vu. So, little trip down memory lane here for uh, for some of us. Uh, 2012 Calder Cup final. It's the Norfolk Admirals facing on against uh, facing off against the Toronto Marlies. Uh, the Norfolk Admiral is then coached by John Cooper. The Marlies coached by Dallas Aikens. And uh, Mike Kostka. There's a name. Hey, there's a name from the past. Mike, by the way, did anybody look more like a hockey player than Mike Kostka did? Have a quick Google image search on Mike Kostka. I always felt that that he looked more like a hockey player than anybody of his generation. Anyway, Kostka sends one in. Uh, just trying to rim it around from center to dump in in overtime, goes off a stanchion that's along the glass and into the empty Marley's net. That gives the Admirals a 3 nothing series lead after taking games one and two in Norfolk. Uh, they go on to win that Calder Cup. As I mentioned, John Cooper's behind the bench for it. And on the roster, although he was injured for the Toronto Marley's at that point, Nazem Kadri. Little AHL trip down memory lane for uh, for everybody here. Um, thanks to Jason for sending along that note uh, and that memory. Uh, coming up in hour two, Paul Maurice, the uh, the head coach. He's the coach of Marley's too. Uh, head coach of the Florida Panthers. Also, Jay Woodcroft will be aboard head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, in the meantime, wanted to get um, wanted to get to this some some news of the day. And this is from last night. Elliot and I. Uh, recording our podcast right after Game 4 between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Colorado Avalanche. Here's some news of the day from yesterday and a lot of good stuff here. 
about the future of the Winnipeg Jets with a couple of key players, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois and also Blake Wheeler. Here's Fridge from 32 Thoughts. Okay, so there are still some coaching vacancies out there, and we think about Detroit, and we think about Boston, and we think about Chicago, and we think about Winnipeg, but now we can take Florida off that board. Paul Maurice named as the new head coach of the Florida Panthers, to which Elliot Friedman says what? This was a really up-and-down process and a very confusing process. There were some rumors at the NHL Awards Tuesday night that Maurice was going into Florida. And it just took until the morning for it to come clear. But there were some people at the awards on Tuesday night who said they were hearing it could be Maurice in Florida. I think it depends who you talk to here. I think the Florida version of this is going to be, we wanted to take the emotion out of this. We were incredibly disappointed after the series. And we had to wait not to overreact one way or the other. So we had to do it this way. I believe Burnett has had permission to talk to other teams. I think the problem with that is, I think the other teams looked at it and they said, if Burnett would have his choice, he would rather stay in Florida. So I think he was caught in no man's land. I would guess that's a real sore spot for Brunette, that even though he had permission to talk to other teams, he felt the other teams didn't really believe he was a free agent. Because if the Panthers came back to them and said, you can be our coach, they felt he would want to do that. So they didn't really see him as available. Like I said, I believe that's a sore spot for him. The Panthers, what they ultimately decided to do here was they want to win the Stanley Cup. They feel their window is now, and they went with someone more experienced who they felt could bring them a Stanley Cup. And that's a decision they made. I think Burnett is hurt. I think he's disappointed. I don't think he's going to stay. I've heard he's already got options to be an assistant coach next year. I wouldn't be surprised if a team like Philadelphia is one of them. I think he still wants to be a head coach. And I could see a team like Chicago, for example, being interested in him. And I think he would be interested in that job because he's got some history there. Mm -hmm. But the Panthers feel that they handled this properly, took the emotion out of it, and made the best decision for the future of their franchise. I think the brunette loyalists, and I have not spoken to him, but I would suspect him himself, feel that he was not handled properly that while he was able to talk to other teams, the fact that the the president's trophy winner could potentially come back to him, they didn't think he was a serious candidate at that time. And I think he felt there were some points in there where he kind of got the impression he was coming back. Mm -hmm. So, look, it's a bitter divorce. It's War of the Roses with Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas. That's a very dated reference, but a very cool pull, nonetheless. It's a very dated (laughs) reference. It really is. But that's okay, because that's a great movie. Here's what I wonder about, because, you know, this decision was made because of, obviously, what happened in the playoffs. Yes. But I wonder whether this was done because of how he coached against John Cooper, or maybe was this how he coached against Peter LaViolette and the Washington Capitals? Like, losing to Tampa is one thing. I get it. It's a defending Stanley Cup champions. Like, it's hard to play Tampa. I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm not buying that. I get it. I just wonder when the doubt crept in. 
was it the Tampa series or was it before? Because don't forget, it wasn't as if they, you know, ripped through the Washington Capitals at all. Like, I just wonder how many seeds of doubt. I don't think that's true. Maybe there's some, Jeff. Like, you could be totally right. But, you know, playoff series are supposed to be hard. They were in trouble in that Washington series. They were down. Washington was doing a great job of clogging up the neutral zone. And they found a way. But to me, that's a good job. You took a team that was experienced, veteran coach, and you found a way to overcome a good tactical plan against you. To me, this is all Tampa. And it's, it's also because of who it was. It's always worse for fans and team when you lose to your rival. And right now, Florida, they're gaining respect. I think they're doing a lot of very good things. But, you know, where you really get measured is against your fiercest rival. You know, Toronto fans were, you know, really pissed off last year because it was Montreal. And they hate losing to Montreal. And so this year, Florida gets wiped out by Tampa. And that makes it worse because it's the big brother of the state pushing you around. I can't imagine the Washington thing was a problem. I really can't. I thought they found a way. Winnipeg Jets. Let's get there. You reported out Pierre-Luc Dubois and his interest in testing free agency. We've talked plenty about the Winnipeg Jets, not just about the coaching search and Barry Trotz, but what this roster looks like next season. Yep. As we record this podcast in the, the wee hours of Thursday morning, what's the very latest with the Winnipeg Jets? I have a buddy who's a big fan of the Jets. He's, he sent me a note about what a tough day it was because there were reports today, Frank Saravelli reporting that Blake Wheeler is also on the trade block, and I believe that's true. I think the Wheeler thing, though, might be more of a mutual thing. I just wonder if both Wheeler and the Jets kind of think it's time and they're willing to work together should that be necessary to find something there. I think that's, that's possible. You know, Wheeler was the captain. He was a huge part of the team. He was very popular player in the market. As this person said to me, you know, for a long time, you know, Wheeler was a veteran who stayed in Winnipeg and how meaningful that was to them. Bufflin stayed in Winnipeg and how meaningful that was to them. And now the possibility that Wheeler could be gone. And the thing with Dubois, he's got two years time restricted free agency. I believe he plans to test it. And that's what he informed them in two years. Mm -hmm. I think the Jets are still hopeful that they can change his mind. And that is their plan. I don't want to put a handicap on it one way or the other. Because one thing I've learned is two years is a long time. And to predict what's going to happen in two years is foolish. The other thing I know is this, is that Kevin Sheveldayoff hung on to Jacob Truba when there were a lot of rumors about what Truba wanted to do, and he hung on to him until he absolutely had to trade him. I don't believe there's a trade request here from Dubois. I don't think he did that. I think he just said he's going to leave it open for a couple of years. But it'll be interesting to see... If Sheveldayoff tries to show that there's reason to stay or he decides to make a move, he's been really patient. And like I said, the reaction I got, which is that the Jets hope Dubois will be a Jet for a long time, that says to me that at least they're considering the possibility of 
can we make this work in a way that makes them happy? You know, it was interesting when I spoke to Kevin Cheveldayoff at the uh, at the Combine in Buffalo a couple of weeks ago, and maybe it's just because we're at the Combine and so we're all talking about prospects and the draft and everything. But he did focus a lot of the conversation about the Winnipeg Jets around Cole Perfetti and Vili Hainala and moving in younger players and putting the accent on this next wave or next generation of Winnipeg Jets. I don't think that they're going to go through the classic rebuild here in Winnipeg, but it does, like if you're Pierre-Luc Dubois, you're probably going to have to get used to seeing a lot of new faces and a lot of new players coming into that dressing room in the next couple of seasons. So I, I wonder if that tempers anything about how Pierre-Luc Dubois feels or what his decision is going to be. It sounds like the next couple of years, Winnipeg is going to try to, you know, restock the prospect cupboards. And we talked about Chaz Lucius. Uh, there's another uh, name that he went out of his way to mention as well. It, it sounds like they're going to start to move in some younger players here for each. I think it comes at a really hard time for the Jets. I don't know if we've talked about this before on the pod, but if we haven't, we'll do it again. I had someone who called me recently and they just said, you have no idea how hard a season this was in Manitoba. Like other places, no fans. You know, forget the on-ice stuff for a second. But also, it was a really challenging thing, the Jets, to navigate their fan base. I mean, who wanted vaccination and who didn't? And who wanted masks in the arena and who didn't? And I'm not interested in the debates over, you know, what is right and what is wrong. Because... We all have our positions and nobody's position is changing. But if you're a big business that needs to manage this, this person said to me, you have no idea what a hard challenge that was. And you know what? That's fair. I probably don't. But he said that was huge stress for the Jets because you want to get your fans back in the building. You want to appeal to them to get them back in the building. And you're not even only worried about just the product on the ice, you're also dealing with that, which I understand was, was a huge issue. And so now you're moving past this, and we're finally moving in a direction here where you think that problem isn't going to be as severe, and then you get all this. And it's been really challenging for them. I know they're also winning on trots. You know, we'll see where that goes. But every franchise gets its challenges, Jets are weathering some really tough ones right here. People can say, well, the Jets are right about this. The Jets are wrong about that. You know, I, I think some of them are also just about coming out of COVID and the challenges they faced. And it really stressed them out and strained a lot of things. And I wouldn't want to have to be a person who was navigating that kind of challenge. And, you know, Fridge, and I, I don't think that the Barry Trotz decision or their desire to hire Barry Trotz has anything to do with marketing. I, I don't think that's why they're doing it. I think he's an excellent coach and they feel he would significantly help this team. But to what you're saying, I think the Winnipeg Jets need a really good news story right there. They really do. Um, and we'll see what happens. Uh, it sounds as if this is a big week for the Winnipeg Jets and Barry Trotz. That was Elliot Friedman from last night uh, on the 32 Thoughts podcast, which is available at your favorite podcatcher right now. Some, uh, some really good news coming out of Ottawa right now where a deal has been reached for a, uh, a new arena uh, in the Breton Flats, uh, which has been speculated upon for a number of years. And that has been, you know, the area of, of big concern. Uh, we all know how relationships had been strained over the years between the owner, 
um, and the LeBreton Flats uh, group. So it looks like that is getting it worked out. I know some people are still skeptical about it, but it does seem as if things are, you know, uh, inching towards, like, look, the NCC today announcing um, that there's an uh, MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding with the uh, Ottawa Senators uh, for an NHL hockey arena, this is from Ian Mendez, built on Albert Street. This is all excellent news for the Ottawa Senators. You know, I can understand where, you know, once upon a time, and this isn't exclusive to hockey. This is this is all sports. But in hockey, it happened. Um, it happened with the Senators. Uh, it happened with the Coyotes. Um, and personally, I blame the movie Field of Dreams and the idea that if you build it, they will come. And I think a lot of sports owners took that too much to heart, thinking what we can put our facilities anywhere and people will just show up when the reality is you want to put your building in a place that's convenient for the most amount of fans. And you do want to have a casual, you know, last minute impulse uh, opportunity for people that just want to go watch a hockey game. Put your rinks downtown where the people are, where the people congregate after work. I'm going to go watch a hockey game. Uh, so, you know, I, I understand why those decisions were made initially. There was the thinking that, hey, we'll go for the cheap real estate play. We'll put our arena here and everybody will just flock to the rink. Uh, that has not worked out with the Ottawa Senators. It certainly did not work out with the Arizona Coyotes and Glendale. Um, Arizona has clearly learned and we'll see what happens with the Tempe deal. Um, you know, the idea of putting a hockey arena where there are actual hockey fans and making it convenient for them to enjoy a hockey game is now something that it looks like the Coyotes are embracing. Um, and the Ottawa Senators are doing the same with this uh, LeBreton Flats uh, project. So it's good news. Again, it's only an MOU at this point, but they're in a better position than they were a week ago, a month ago, a year ago in getting a new arena. Healthy Ottawa Senators franchise. I love it. I'm all about it. That would be a great thing for uh, for not just hockey in Ontario or hockey in Canada, but just hockey in general. And we all know how you know good some of these young players are on the Ottawa Senators and where they'll be in a few years when perhaps, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, this rink at LeBreton Flats actually gets built. Going to try to get someone on tomorrow to talk about this. In the meantime, joining me next, uh, he's the new head coach of the Florida Panthers. He is Paul Maurice. Uh, at the bottom of hour two, he is once again still the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. Jay Woodcroft joins me as well. Coach's hour next, folks. Join me. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network.